Well, friends, it falls to us tonight to contemplate the suffering, the sacrifice, and the death of Jesus Christ. What a privilege we have. What a privilege we have to sit in the shadow of the wondrous cross. This is hard. It's not for the faint of heart, right? But it is rich. Aspects of this contemplation are painful, but they're also life-giving. And so we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you would sit with us in the shadow of the wondrous cross. Tonight, the title of this message, which will not be very long, but I would like to share with you a message entitled, When Fears Are Stilled. We sing the song, What what Heights of Love, What Depths of Peace, When Fears Are Stilled, When Strivings Cease, When Fears Are Stilled. Can we just take a big breath over that right now together, collectively? There's something very special about that statement. Maybe I'm feeling the collective longing in our hearts. Maybe it's just the longing in my own heart beating just a little extra tonight. But our fears being stilled at the foot of the cross. That's what tonight is about. You know, childhood is a time that is marked by a lot of the overcoming of fear. At least that seems to be the case. Most of us can remember fears that we wrestled with as kids. And we still wrestle with fear as adults, but there is a part of growing up that includes getting braver, right? There are certain things that you're not afraid of anymore that perhaps at one time you were. So we get braver. I was thinking a little bit about fears that I had as a child, and one of my great, most memorable childhood fears was spiders. I suspect I'm probably not alone. There's a few other arachnophobes in the room. I do better with them now, but I was quite afraid of them as a child. We had some large rhododendrons at the house uh, where I grew up. And um, I remember as a child, I I was fascinated and slightly terrified by the big and fat spiders that would spin beautiful webs within the structure of that tree-like plant. Spiders at a distance... No problem. Spiders on me, a big problem. If you know the fear, you know that's a, a big difference. So why, as a five or six-year-old kid, I decided to climb into that rhododendron during a game of hide-and-seek? I cannot tell you. It's like my little kid brain had the ability or the power to process looking for good hiding places or uh, avoiding fearful predators. But not both. So here I am tucked into this perfect little hiding spot and I'm grinning from ear to ear because I'm so excited about the wonderful stealth and camouflage that I have achieved. And I, and I suspect that the majority of us that are here that are adults, it's been a while since you've played hide and seek. But it's a great adrenaline rush if you remember it as a kid. That almost being found, finding the perfect place to hide, and that's where I found myself, just grinning from ear to ear, so proud of this spot. And then I remembered the spiders. I was, it, was, it was like, even as a child, I found myself saying, 
You just looked at these like two days ago. How did you forget so quickly and then crawl into the very spot where they live? I mean, it's like as a child, you're afraid of the monster under the bed, but you don't go to bed under the bed. You're scared of things in the closet, but you don't go into the closet. So here I am in the spider's lair. It's like a cold bucket of liquid fear. I remember it was like tangible, palpable sort of sensation. Liquid fear just sort of dripping down my spine all the way to my shoes. I start looking around. Because now I want to know if I'm alone in my hiding spot. And I don't see any spiders anywhere. And that's almost worse. Because that means they could be anywhere. I know what you're thinking. That was the day that I faced my fear. And I became courageous. And I overcame. No, I ran. (laughs) I was no longer caring about the stupid game. I wanted to stay alive. So as kids, we deal with fear. As adults, we deal with fear. Some of us are here tonight dealing with fear. Aren't you glad that in the shadow of the cross we can hear the promise? 1 John 4.18 tells us that perfect love drives out fear. Some of us can latch on to that maybe a little bit tonight. So what does it mean for fears to be stilled. I want to encourage you tonight in this concept, what does it mean to look upon your fear? In the book of Numbers, there's a a curious account after the Israelites have been freed from slavery, but before they've come into the promised land and they're in this prolonged season of wandering in the wilderness and they're getting frustrated and frequently their, their fears are getting the better of them and they're beginning to complain and This is the case in Numbers 21 where the people grow impatient on the way. And it says they spoke against God, they spoke against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread and there's no water. And then this is an actual quote, and we detest this miserable food. That's where they were finding themselves. If you know the passage... Uh, It says, the Lord sent venomous snakes then among them, and they bit the people, and many of the Israelites began to die. And the people came to Moses at this point, and they said, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord. We sinned when we spoke against you. Would you pray now that the Lord would take the snakes away from us? And so Moses begins to pray for the people. So, So this is a legitimate fear. I mean, I'm not really afraid of snakes in the way that I was afraid of spiders as a child, but I don't think I want them around, and if they're poisonous and biting me or the people that I love, I I would be deeply concerned. I would be dealing with a level of fear. You would certainly deal with some fear. The Israelites were dealing with fear. And, And you might actually be tempted to gloss over this story It's just sort of an odd deliverance account of God's people. I mean, it's really not that long. It doesn't take up that many verses, a handful. The people disobeyed God with their complaining. He punished them. They repented. He delivered them. We've heard this kind of story before, right? But I want you to see what God does that is sort of curious. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it on a pole 
Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. And so Moses made a bronze snake and he put it up on a pole. And then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. So the fear of snakes and getting bitten and the fear of poison and the fear of death, all of this stuff wrapped up. But God could have done a deliverance work. In fact, what the people asked for specifically was, he said, pray to God that he would take them away. But he didn't do that, did he? In fact, I remember looking at this passage many times, especially as a child, and thinking, that's an odd one. I mean, you don't see God acting like this too often. Hey, here's what you do. Uh, just take a bronze snake and put it up on a, on a pole, have the people look at it, and they will experience healing when they look at this snake. That was his deliverance for them. There's an author, professor, clinical psychologist by the name of Jordan Peterson, who's sort of famous and sort of infamous. He's loved and hated in a lot of circles. And he was processing this particular story from the Bible, and he called it an impossibly weird account. He said, it's got to either be true or it's just complete craziness. It's an odd story. It's not predictable. It doesn't go the way that you would think that it would. But this is what caught his attention. He said, the reason I'm struck by this story, and he calls it impossibly weird, is this, is that it squares so perfectly with our modern doctrine of psychotherapy. And maybe if I had spent more time in that field, that would have struck me as well. But for him, he said, this squares perfectly with our modern doctrine of psychotherapy, specifically that you have to look upon the object that you fear if you want to become free. And some of us have experienced that kind of thing in our life and journey. Maybe you're gripped by a certain fear of a situation or of an individual or of a circumstance, but until you are able to look at that circumstance and deal with it, it has a hold on your life. So here's someone sort of from the outside looking in and saying, God has called them to do what we think in our modern minds is actually a good idea that the thing that is controlling us actually loses its power. Because when we look on the object of our fear, we become free. Now that may not happen overnight, but apparently that's the goal of a good therapy session, is to help you say, look at this thing that you're afraid of, so it will no longer control your life. God could have simply answered the prayer for deliverance, could have made the snakes go away, but he didn't. He didn't make them safe. In fact, he called them to be brave. The end result is that the people of God found repentance and humility. They found their way back to God. But they also found bravery, and what the Scripture specifically tells us here is that when the people were bitten by a snake, they looked at the bronze snake, and they lived They found healing. So I want you to think about this for a moment as we sit in the shadow of the cross tonight. What does it mean to look upon your fear? But if I left it there and just said, well, that's sort of just some some good advice or maybe a little little pep talk for you, I think it would uh, short sell the things that the Lord wants to do because tonight we're not just looking on our fear, we are looking upon our king. I want you to look upon your king tonight if you are a Christ follower and look at what we see. Jesus in the Gospels 
Just last Sunday, we were reading the account of the triumphal entry of Christ coming into Jerusalem. This is in John chapter 12. If you keep reading, not too far from that, as the people are celebrating his entrance into the world and they're, they're, uh, they're excited about him and the, the leadership that he's gonna bring and they've got all these ideas of the deliverance that he will bring for them and they wanna exalt him or lift him up and he says, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. But he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. You see, there was a a misrepresentation in the people's mind of what does it really mean for Christ to be exalted. And of course, he was talking about something that we are celebrating tonight that they couldn't possibly understand. But it wasn't the first time Jesus talked about this. In fact, throughout the gospel accounts, he says things like this in John chapter 3. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, if you've just walked in to this message in the last 30 seconds, you might rightly say, that is an odd comparison for Jesus to make about his death and eventual resurrection. As Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, I mean, did he just not have another good metaphor to draw on or a teaching example or something? Why would he say that? Odd comparison to make. Tonight, though, we are contemplating the cross and we are looking at fear. I will look upon the cross and I will see deep fear. For what are we doing tonight? We sit in the shadow of the cross, we look upon the story of Jesus, and we see some remarkably fearful things. The pain and the suffering and the death of Christ. I mean, these are not things that any of us would say, sign me up, I want to do that. We actually say with with great gladness, he did things that we didn't have to do. He paid a price that we didn't have to pay. And we know that the Roman crucifixion, the, the The Romans were masters of their craft, inflicting bodily carnage, so much so that when we use the word to describe our deepest pain, we say excruciating, which literally means out of the cross. That's the physical torment that Christ took on for us. And so we we look at the cross, and that's fearful stuff. And then there's a whole different kind. We, We look deeper at the story of Jesus, and we see betrayal by a friend we see abandonment we see rejection I mean this is fearful stuff that we wrestle with on a whole different level and then we contemplate the cross and we we behold our fear we look at these kind of things we we start to look deeper and I want to quote to you from Stephen Turley who's an author who says this the cross actually shows us what we have become The kind of people in humanity that when absolute truth comes and makes his dwelling among them, they nail him to a cross. And we see a painful and fearful reality of what we have become. You just sang tonight, behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders, ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished his dying breath 
has brought me life. I know that it is finished. So here's Jesus saying this sort of odd metaphor, right? He says, in the same way that Moses lifted up this snake, look on your fears so you're not gonna be controlled by them. He says the Son of Man is gonna be lifted up and now we come tonight to look at the cross, to look at the Savior, to look at what he's done. Now here's the amazing thing. The passage I just read to you is from John 3, 14 and 15. Do you know what verse 16 says? It's the most common Bible verse ever quoted. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Tim Keller, noting uh, these same parallels, says this. He says, you know, the irony of the remedy was that the people would be healed by looking on the very thing that made them sick in the first place. When we look at the cross of Christ and are reminded of Paul's writings, for example, 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. The irony of this great remedy now is that people will be healed by looking on the very thing that made them sick in the first place. The sin of the world placed on his shoulders. So we look upon the suffering and the death of Christ. We receive his sacrifice that brings us life and we find that death no longer has a hold on us. Like Paul said, the curse is broken. Like the greatest fears that we wrestle with are stilled in the presence and the finished work of Jesus. Wow. We have a little dialogue among our staff, and even here we talk about the fact that it's It's a temptation to run to the celebration of Easter. But tonight, we're called first to contemplate, to wait, not to run ahead of ourselves. And so we would like to do that now at the communion table. And I'm I'm gonna simply pray for us. I'm gonna invite the, the work that Jesus wants to do in you as you meet him at the table. And I'm asking Pastor Chad to then lead us into that place. But you know, friends, I want you to be aware of this. There is healing in the atoning work of Christ. It's been on my heart all through this week in preparation for for this service and for this moment that the Lord would say, I have healing work that I want to do. Sometimes that healing is in a physical restoration, and I know that many of us, we've got needs in our family, needs in our physical bodies that we would say, I'm I'm coming into the finished work of Jesus and trusting him for the healing that I need. Sometimes it's relational healing, 
We've gone through a season, many seasons, with, with things that have felt strained and stretched. It's been hard. And so trusting the Lord that he will bring healing in the ways that he desires to do tonight. So I would ask you to join me in this simple prayer. And then, Chad, I'd ask you to come and lead us to the communion table. When fears are stilled, Jesus, we are grateful tonight. We don't want to run past this moment, the the work that you desire to do here, the very profound, it's very deep, it's, it's hard, it's not easy. But Lord, we don't want to miss what your Holy Spirit desires to do in these moments. Lord, we began this message with a prayer simply saying we acknowledge every gift you desire to pour out tonight. Every desire, every gift you desire to pour out tonight. May we have the strength to see it. May we have the faith to receive it as you move among us. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Pastor Chad.